0: Uh, Well, my name is uh, Lance Williams. I'm the lead pastor here at The Grove, and it is an honor to look out amongst the crowd and see so many familiar faces as well as so many new faces as well. And so we're glad that you're here. Um, If you're new, we are going through the book of John. This is now the 57th week of the book of John. So to say that you've maybe missed a few things if this is your first day would might be a little bit of an understatement, but we continue on in the book of John, and we could kind of go into this last passage on, what, or on this last chapter, uh, particularly the chapter we're into now is John 20, and that's where we've picked up today. We're in that story. We're in the midst of a broader story, but if we wanted to summarize what John was all about, you could go to verse 31 in chapter 20, which says this. This is the beauty of the Bible. It kind of continually gives us these little check marks so that we can know what we're doing. But John would say this in chapter 20, verse 31. These things, these things in the book of John are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We at the Grove believe that the only way that we will have life is if we place our trust, our belief in Jesus, in his name, living for his name and not our own. Not even for the sake of any brand of any church, but instead for the beauty of the name of Christ. And that's kind of our summary of the book of John and so you're all caught up right? Not so much. It feels like you're like reading book five of the Harry Potter series when there you haven't even read like the first four. And I'm not even a Harry Potter nerd but some of you are and you laughed and so I'm glad that we now have you into this conversation and so that's a good thing. But we are in this huge big story that you're already in. I was a communications major um, at A&M. Okay. <laughs> Why was I surprised by that? I do not know. But nonetheless, I was. Uh, but nonetheless, I was a communication major. And as I was a communication major, we would be studying for all these tests. And they would, we'd kind of just be like, what does this mean? And what does this say? And what is going on? And I don't know what these terms are. And somebody just said, hey, look, this, you're already doing these, th- these things. These are just the labels for the things that you're already doing. You're already in a big story. Let me just give you some labels for the story you're already living in. That God would create the whole world all things, and he called them good, very good. That's Genesis 1 and 2, but Genesis 3 changed everything, that this unbelievable uh, promise of God being with his people wasn't enough for his people. Instead, we rebelled with Adam and Eve, and we, it's known as the fall. We, we sinned greatly against our king, our God, our creator, and we entrusted ourselves, really, to ourselves. We no longer trusted God. We instead trusted this creation, this snake. But that is not where the story ended. You can see this all around us. You can see this in the world today, that God created a beautiful world, but it doesn't quite work the way it was designed. There is decay. There's death. There's disorder. There's injustice. And so, It was this beautiful story that we're in because it's beautiful not just because it's fallen but because there's redemption in this story and that redemption is found in Jesus, the the man, the the God, the God-man who came on the earth from heaven, wasn't created but was born like one of us, fully God and fully man that he would live a sinless life, die on the cross for us and yes, raise to life from the dead. That's this third part of this story, this grand story of redemption. But even then it doesn't end there. If it ended there, the great climax of our faith would be Good Friday, but instead the the, the climax of our faith is instead Easter Sunday when renewal, this fourth act of this beautiful story is started, inaugurated on the earth in Jesus is resurrection. This promise of renewal that he's going to make all things new How can we look forward to that with any confidence? It's because of this day, Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, that Jesus is making good on his promise to make all things new. And so the invitation into this bigger story happens, not just in these four acts, but now in three scenes that we're going to walk through today, all centered around a tomb. And so I'm just going to invite you to a different place and to a different time. I'm going to invite you to be transported to this tomb with Mary. And then I'm going to invite you to get into the tomb with Peter and John. And then we're going to be outside the tomb again with Mary, with her second appearance. And so would you come with me on this journey into the pages of Scripture and into and outside of the tomb? That's what these three scenes are truly inviting us into. And as we do, As we step back into this different time, into this different place, I pray that we would discover the details of what happened on this morning. What most people believe was 1,986 years ago today, on this day, just before you were getting up, chaos was erupting upon the earth when Jesus rose from the dead. So will we find ourselves there? In the text, at the tomb, full of fear, full of anger that they, they actually killed him, that he's still dead, full of confusion. Is he going to make good on the promise to rise on the third day? And then when we see him, will we be full of hope and joy So follow me and follow Mary to the tomb as we go in our first scene here. Truly that Jesus is alive. We get these evidences through these people that have gone to this tomb. And so we follow Mary in the first couple of verses. This is what the Bible says. John 20, verses 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple is John. He just, doesn't rec- he just doesn't, like, out himself. But he does out himself as the one whom Jesus loved. <laughs> he also outs himself as the faster runner than Peter. Like, why is that in there? I don't know, but it's the, just a little jab for all of eternity that Peter, has, that just John has for Peter. Anyways, we'll, we'll keep, I, I get lost in these details. We'll be here all day. But he said to them, they have taken, this is what uh, Mary says to now Simon, Peter, and John. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Mary goes to the tomb early in the morning. What the other gospel accounts will say is that there are other women with her ready to anoint Jesus with more spices, because after all, they're expecting a corpse to be rotting, and the spices would would mitigate the smell coming out of the tomb, and so they're going there with their spices ready to anoint the dead body of Jesus, and all of a sudden the stone is rolled away. The body is gone, and she automatically assumes robbery. She assumes the grave has been robbed before even looking into the tomb itself, according to the book of John. The tomb would have been carved into this side of this cave, and this huge stone, which not one man or two men or maybe even three would have been able to roll this stone out of the way. And so when she got there, she was shocked, to say the least. But Mary saw that stone rolled away, and either through assumption or deception, she draws the wrong conclusion of robbery and not resurrection. That's the assumption that she made. She draws that conclusion either out of assumption or deception. She may have assumed that she just saw just enough evidence to draw the wrong conclusion. Or perhaps it was through deception, because after all, it was the Jewish leaders that heard about the resurrection, and all of a sudden they started to spread this rumor that someone had come and robbed the grave. We need to just sing about this, like our God has robbed the grave. Maybe that was my my early morning worship session. I can't tell sometimes between the two. But that our God has the one that has been the one that has robbed the grave. No disciple, no Jewish leader, no Roman guard. But Mary goes and she assumes and she draws the wrong conclusion that truly Jesus' body was stolen. So she comes to the grave. She sees some semblance of robbery. She assumes then the wrong conclusion. I wonder if that's you. I wonder if you've come to the grave, so to speak, to the tomb, and seen just enough of what you think is Jesus And you've assumed some things about him. You've drawn some false conclusions about the end of the story. I wonder if you've come just close enough to actual resurrection that you've seen it or you've seen evidence of it. You've seen some sort of evidence but you've drawn the wrong conclusion and now he's still dead. Somebody just stole his body. I wonder if we can be invited with Mary to the tomb just outside assuming the end. I wonder if some of that And some of that is in us. Have we failed to look into the tomb? Have we failed to really look into the evidence that stares back at us? Perhaps, maybe we're not operating out of assumption, but instead out of wrong information, out of deception. And perhaps you've watched eight too many history channel. I would say documentaries, but these days they're really not documentaries. They just interview whoever they want to tell the story of whatever story they want to tell. And perhaps you've watched about 14 too many of those, and you've got the wrong information flowing through you, and so you've drawn a false conclusion. See, getting this right, though, means everything to our faith. Paul said this in the book of 1 Corinthians, in a whole chapter on resurrection. He says this about, about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, worthless, and you are still in your sins. See, Jesus' payment on the cross only makes is really made good by his resurrection from the grave. You're still in your sins. You are still in the tomb, dead with a dead Jesus, if he didn't raise from the grave so my invitation to you is not just to come to the tomb but to peek into the tomb but before we get there if you're skeptical if you're cynical or perhaps you've just operated out of assumption or deception regarding Jesus's resurrection let me invite you to the tomb with Mary and let me clarify two pieces of evidence for his resurrection first Mary was a woman Did you know that in first century Israel, first century Judaism, it would have been just absolutely crazy to have a woman to be the person that is the first witness to this resurrection. They were not credible witnesses in any court of law. Jewish law, Roman law, women were not allowed to be witnesses to establish the case of anything. If you were going to make this story up, if this was all made up, surely you would have put different people to discover the tomb first surely you would have put maybe John in there or Luke or Matthew or or Peter even to be a person that discovered the tomb first but instead all four accounts of the gospels tell us that women were the first people to discover the grave the empty grave it was women who were the first witnesses to this resurrection. If you were making this story up, you wouldn't have put a woman first at the empty tomb. Let that, let that be a piece of evidence to get us past deception or assumption on the resurrection. But don't just stop there. Go to the stone. This stone that would have been rolled away, have you considered that the stone which was moved was guarded by a Jewish guard and a Roman guard to ensure that no one could steal the body? No one would have had any opportunity to come and rob the grave. They, of course, were put there by the Jewish leaders and Pilate. And then they report to the Jewish authorities all that had happened in the middle of the night, that angels were there, that the seal that they had put over the tomb was broken, that the the stone was rolled away, and they go back terrified of their lives. And the Jewish authorities essentially pay for those soldiers to tell a lie. And that a lie being, hey, you got to tell people that somebody came and, and robbed the grave here. See, they were starting to spread the rumor early of grave robbery. The one problem is, is that if a Roman soldier would have fallen asleep during that time, if a Roman soldier would have not let, would have let somebody come and rob the grave, it would have meant their life. So the very fact that you have people spreading a rumor that would have cost them their life gives evidence to the fact that Jesus truly is risen from the dead, that the grave truly is empty. Not just these women that were the first witnesses to resurrection, but this stone being rolled away, this living guard that's now testifying that they robbed the grave. The very fact that they've said that was a contradiction to their own law. But perhaps this is you today. Either through assumption or deception, you've drawn the wrong conclusion about today's events. And I would just say this, you are in good company. You're in good company with our friend Mary. Mary Magdalene who doesn't just walk away from this event but goes and testifies to her brothers, Peter and the other disciple. And then we find her at the end of this story which we're gonna wrap up with her once again. But this is just the first scene in this bigger story that John and Peter's journey now goes beyond just coming to the tomb but now he go, they go inside the tomb and they find something different. John himself draws a different conclusion, not robbery, but something far greater. So we enter back into this scene, into the scriptures of verse 3, with Peter and John inside the tomb, Mary outside the tomb, coming towards the tomb, and looking in, and and not even knowing what's going on, assuming the end, Peter and John go inside the tomb in this second scene, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. This is the eternal jab from John to Peter. But the other disciple outran Peter. And he reached the tomb first. And for all of eternity, Peter said, John, you had a head start. Oh, that's not in there. Hang on. (laughs) Verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, because he was slower, apparently, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, you know, the one that reached the tomb first, (laughs) he also went in. He saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Peter and John have a foot race to the tomb and also discover that it indeed is empty. But they, unlike Mary, go inside the tomb and they begin to discover some evidence for resurrection that Mary never saw. They begin to investigate the scene like good disciples. But like Mary, the thought of robbery had to have gone through their mind. But they went in and investigated the scene further. See, there is a seeing that you can have, just like Mary did in the beginning, that you're drawing the wrong conclusion. And then there is a seeing that you're starting to investigate things a little further. Yesterday we were out at the park because it was a beautiful day outside. If you were inside, God bless you, I don't know how you did that. I have severe allergies and I was still outside because it was just made for that. We were outside at the park, me and Ellie and Moses, and they brought me over to this place to our park where it was like, Like, they call it the hole, and I walked over there, and I was like, I've never seen this before, and I've been in this neighborhood 11 years. So we go over to this thing called the hole, and at the bottom is a drainage ditch, where there was just a grate there. And we're sitting there staring at the grate, because that's what we do, I guess, at 8 and 4 and however old I am. And so so we're looking into this grate, and, and what was cool about it is that there was this little stamp that said India on it. And it just maybe reminded me that even in this resurrection time, we need to be praying and thinking about our friends uh, across the oceans. But also, Ellie looked at it. So we saw the same thing. And Ellie looked at it, and she goes, whoa, India? And I was like, yeah. She goes, you can get to India through here? (laughs) I was like, "What, what in the world just happened? And I was like, no, sweetheart. No, this was made in India and they brought it here. You don't go to India through the hole. <laughs> you can see the same things and draw different conclusions based on some assumptions that we've made. And Peter and John see the same thing that Mary saw, but they go in a little bit further. And the words here in the Greek are very specific. The first thing that they do is they see. Verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw. It's the same word that Mary had in the Greek, just literally means to perceive with the eye. But read on. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw. See, that is a different word and is the the seeing with a special attention to detail, not just a perception with the eye, but now you're kind of squinting a little bit. You're looking around, taking notice of the details as to the empty tomb, the cloths that are there. All of a sudden, we've got new details to the story that they're not just in there, one on the head and one on the foot. They're folded up. That's an important piece of information. And as we continue on, another word for sight or seeing in, in, in verse 8. Then the other disciple, John, also went in and he saw. That's a totally different word from the first two. It literally is to experience something new. To see something and experience something new. That all of a sudden he saw what Peter saw. He saw more than what Mary saw. And he came to faith. He, he believed. What in the world did he see? What was the big deal for John? They're investigating, they're looking, they see the empty tomb, they see these folded up clothes. Some of you stay-at-home moms can probably resonate with John right here, like you really will believe that there is a God when someone does laundry in their home. Yes, me too, I'm with you. But John comes to faith by folded laundry, truly. That Jesus rises from the dead and leaves his burial cloths behind. And if it was a robbery, what kind of cloth would be left behind? Torn? Scattered? Thrown about? As if someone was leaving in haste? But the details of the Bible are that they are folded up. If for no other reason to help us than to help us. Than to bring John to faith. And then of course Peter and the rest of the disciples, and eventually, you. Maybe it was just a little detail, but maybe it was for a reason. For us to understand that resurrection is real. You see, this dispels the myth that a robber came and stole Jesus from the tomb, but it also helps us to see this main truth that Kobe presented so well on Good Friday, that even amidst the most chaotic times of distress, disorientation, and disbelief, God is restoring order to the world. That's the great story. Creation, fall, disorder, chaos, redemption, and renewal. That is resurrection. And all that comes to fruition in this folded cloth that God is putting to order the things that are out of order for us. Perhaps it was these cloths neatly folded which put John's heart into order. Whatever God was doing, what we do know was that when he saw, when he saw and investigated these linen cloths lying there, he experienced something new. He experienced resurrection inside of a tomb. You ever notice that about resurrection? It actually has to happen inside of a burial place. You have to be invited into the tomb, and so now I invite you not just with Mary to the tomb, now I invite you with John and with Peter into this dank, damp, dark tomb. It's in that tomb. It's in that tomb that I pray you would see some things that are good evidence Of resurrection will you not just come to the tomb will will you enter it with them will you be curious about what you see in there so to again to the cynical to the skeptic to the doubting to the curious Jesus welcomes you into this tomb to look around to see for see it for what it is not just a place of death but a place where life gets birthed it's where new life starts this in this tomb of resurrection you cannot leave here unchanged. You see, just as Jesus' dead body was laid here and yet risen from the dead, so does God beckon you here to lay down your life so that you might be risen from the dead and raised to new life. So friend, bring your expectations, bring your preferences, bring your desires, your demands of what you think God should do for you and lay them here in the tomb so God may bring new life and a living hope, a living hope that goes away from your expectations and your preferences and your desires and your demands of what you hoped life with Jesus would be like and instead lay them there. With full view that it is truly only in the risen Savior that you will find hope, that you will find happiness, that you will find fulfillment. You see, the empty tombs mean, means that we have to put some things to death. We can't just live amongst the tubes. We can't make life work in an empty tomb. That doesn't work. If you're my age, you're going to get this reference. If you're anything below this age, you're going to be lost for the next three minutes. But many times I think that the Christian life is a lot like the weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> uh huh, yeah. We know who everybody is like 35 and older right here. Come on. You remember Weekend at Bernie's from the 80s? Where, you're, no, you don't. I would recap it for you, but it's literally the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen in your life. If you didn't rent it from Blockbuster, I can't help you. It's not on Netflix, so that's just the reality of it all. But anyways, the basic story is this. These two guys come together. They have this party at their boss's house. Only problem is their boss died, and they don't want their party to end. And so they spend the weekend lugging their dead boss around and propping him up like all around the pool and like pretending he has a drink and all these other things. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. I think it was funny in the 80s. It's definitely not funny now. This is many times what I think we make of the Christian life. Oh, but we say Jesus gave us freedom. Well, Why is Bernie hanging out with you still? Why is this dead corpse hanging out with you still? Your old life, your own preferences your own desires and demands and expectations of what you think Jesus is going to do for you. But instead, he's come out of the grave and said, put all those things to rest and just follow me. You mean mean I I don't need rules? No. You mean I don't need religion? No. You need to follow Jesus, dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Would we follow him? See, that's what resurrection brings for us today. And that's why we're doing a whole series on what it means that Jesus would come and basically say the one thing that we all don't like to to hear. Wait. Wait. The Holy Spirit's coming. He ain't come yet. Don't get ahead of yourselves, boys and ladies. The Holy Spirit is on His way. What the Spirit did on this day, though, was raise Jesus from the dead. And so we, we leave this tomb without Bernie, put him to death, put all those expectations and desires and demands that we have on God, we put those things to death and now we walk out in freedom with Jesus. That's the invitation, not just come into the tomb, but also leave absolutely changed out of the tomb. So what you see in all this is this beautiful Invitation for us. You see, Mary comes back into this scene. Not only did she come to the tomb, and not only have we just seen how Peter and John go into the tomb and they leave changed, but now all of a sudden we enter back into this sadness. What is going on with Mary outside of the tomb? Read with me verses 11 through 15. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Finally, she's peeking in, and she saw two angels in white sitting there. What? Sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And she said to her, and Jesus said to her, Woman... Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to them, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She is stubborn in her conclusion that someone has robbed the grave, even when face to face with Jesus. But God, in his grace, Doesn't leave her in this false conclusion. Doesn't leave her in the assumption that she has made. She instead sends two angels to jolt her into the belief of resurrection. And then a mysterious gardener asks two questions. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Restated, it could be said like this. Hey, what exactly did you expect to happen today, Mary? And I would ask you the same question. What exactly did you expect out of Easter Sunday? Some pastels, like you wore a pink shirt that you don't wear on any other day? <laughs> it's been sitting in, literally in my closet for three years. The last time I wore it on Easter of like 2016. <laughs> is that is that what we thought Easter was? That that we were gonna? Uh, yes, we're gonna do Easter eggs. It's beautiful, but is this what we came to do? Or did we come to be compelled and changed and challenged and and, and resurrected? by King Jesus, who is resurrected himself. He, w- he wants to jolt us into this new reality. What did you expect today? I hope that you didn't just want to take a peek at the empty tomb and just walk away like it's no big deal, life as normal. Because Jesus is going to reshape our expectations as much as he reshapes Mary. Look at what he says in verse 17. Verse 16, right? She says, he says to her, like, the most gentle way I can see it, with, of course, like a British accent, Mary. You've never seen like an, English, like a, like an American accent, Jesus, only British accents. And Peter always has to have a Scottish accent because he, apparently he's tough. Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, in 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Don't hold on. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. See, Jesus basically says things that says this that things are not going to be the way they always were for you and me. It's not just going to be me and a few disciples physically present here upon the earth. Things have changed in a hurry. Resurrection is happening and ascension will soon happen. I'm going to my Father. Don't cling on to your dream of me as someone who is physically with you all the time. I'm headed to our Father. So quickly, go tell your brothers what you have seen. Let go of me. Go and tell Let go of me, Mary. Go and tell your brothers. That's the the basic message that Jesus says to Mary here. And this changed everything for Mary. Because you and I cannot have an encounter with Jesus and remain the same. It's impossible. For Mary, she was possessed by demons prior to meeting Jesus some years prior to this day. And now Jesus reframes her future as one who is a sister of Jesus, along with her brothers, young John, who is kind of passive-aggressive and is gloating. You know, the one that Jesus loved. You know, the one that made it to the tomb first. Like, we're going to have that conversation, I think, when we get to heaven, me and him around the campfire. So tell me what you were thinking. And he's going to go, yeah, not that. Something else. I'm like, I couldn't see it, man. I'm sorry. Let go, go and tell with young John and and denying Peter and doubting Thomas. And the reason why I'm using those adjectives of those men, because I want you to see their flaws put up against God's faithfulness. I want you to see these men and women as deeply flawed individuals because if you do, you'll find yourself in that story. If you just see them as holy and as saints and as super Christians, you'll never try to live the life that they lived. But if you see them as flawed, as young, and doubting, and betraying, and all the things that they did, then all of a sudden, they're just like us. And God is faithful even to those that are just like us, if not worse. And so to you and me, and whatever doubts we have, whatever cause that's behind our skepticism, however often we have denied Jesus, and for whatever price we have betrayed him, he cries out to us, you're my brothers. You're my sisters. I'm headed to our Father and to our God see, even amidst confusion and chaos, Jesus includes his people at his table where he invites us to partake of the feast of grace and mercy. If you are here for, the, for this confession of who God was, this kingdom of God that came, it starts talking about like, we're sitting at the table that the king has prepared for us with vats of wine, with meat and, and, and food that's rich with marrow. Like, I don't ever eat marrow, but I bet it's good in the kingdom. There's this beautiful picture of sitting at the table That God has prepared for us, enjoying it with our brothers and our sisters, honoring the king who has come and conquered the grave. See, that's our invitation. Not just into the grave, but out of it. For there we will be with Mary. Who Jesus says to her, let go of me. Don't cling to the dreams that you once had. It's going to be even better. But go and tell my brothers. And Mary leaves this gardener as the first person who takes the message of resurrection back to the disciples. Women, I want you to hear that again and again. You were the first witnesses of resurrection. Without your faithful witness to King Jesus risen from the dead, none of us would be here. What an important part to play in the kingdom of God. And of course, they she goes home and she goes back in verse 18. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Whereas John came to faith without seeing the Lord, Mary comes to faith by seeing the Lord. And this would change her life as much as it has changed ours. So as we end, where are you in this story? Are you at the tomb? First seen with Mary? Mary? Kind of just assuming some things about Jesus. You're Someone who's heard about Jesus, about his resurrection, and yet assumed it was all a fable and there's no scientific or historical evidence. But much like my friend Billy Graham, there's more historical evidence for this than any other Roman event. I've only touched on three or four things. There are many more. If that's you, Jesus is ready to receive you, to show himself to you. Perhaps you're someone who's followed Jesus for years, but now you need to enter into the tomb where you can bury your preferences. Christian, that's you. Come into the tomb. Bury your preferences and entrust Jesus more and more to a life of freedom, to a life of putting some things to death so that you may truly live. Or perhaps you're someone who needs more evidence. You may be stuck in sadness towards the end with Mary back at the tomb. Perhaps that's you over the loss of the hopes and the dreams that you once had with Jesus. Oh, but Jesus is ready to meet you outside the tomb. He's ready to remind you of your identity, of blood bought sons and daughters, brothers and sisters of King Jesus, equipped and empowered to tell others he's alive. He is not here. He is risen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you would raise your son from the dead. That we may be a people that look forward to our own resurrection one day. Not just in our own hearts. That we pray for the resurrection of the lost even in this room and in many rooms across the world today. That are hearing the gospel We pray for that, that you would raise those people from the dead in their hearts. But we also look with hope towards the grave, the actual grave one day. Whenever that day comes for us, that is not the end. We will rise. That's the beauty of Resurrection Day. That we Christians live with a hope. The Bible calls it a living hope. That though, though death may capture us, it does not have the final say. And so, Father, and by your Holy Spirit, would you help us be a people that don't just rely on the historical facts of the resurrection, but instead receive this news as the best news the world truly has ever heard. That Jesus stands ready to change us, to receive us, to transform us, and to put His resurrection power inside of us. So if we're outside the tomb wondering what He's like, this is what He's like. Beautiful, free, gracious, merciful, gentle. Calling you to Himself. For those of us that have come to know that, may we continually put to death, leave our grave clothes in the tomb, and help one another out, like Lazarus, taking that, those gro- grave clothes off. May we live freely and follow King Jesus all the days of our lives. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.